You're listening to Life, Death and Sport, the podcast that reveals sports rarely told stories of heartbreak, healing and hope, shining a light on the real and raw issues that are so often kept in the dark. Hosted by Robbie Cornthwaite. Today's guest on Life, Death and Sport isn't an athlete, but he's worked with some of Australia's best. Dr. Craig Duncan is one of the world's leading sports scientists and he's been involved with the Socceroos, the New South Wales Blues as well as many other high-performance programs. Despite his professional success, it's his outlook on life I hope will inspire you. Craig had a near-death experience in 2013. He describes it as the worst moment of his life, but also the best thing that ever happened to him. Craig is now on a mission to live his life to the fullest every single day. So I'm joined now by Dr. Craig Duncan. Craig, thank you very much for giving me your time and joining me on the show. I'm really excited about this chat because you're a guy that's got so much experience in different areas. So uh, welcome to Life, Death and Sport. Uh, thanks, Rob. I'm always excited to talk to you. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> we did have some technical difficulties getting this up and running today. And uh, I am sitting in my walk-in wardrobe at home. So whether or not my high-tech studio had something to do with it, I'm not too sure. Well, might be your, you know, you being a central defender that might have that, uh, that issue. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. Um, Craig, I was scrolling your, your website, um, craigduncan.com, drcraigduncan.com.au for anyone out there who wants to check it out. And obviously you're one of the world's leading human performance scientists. And, and something caught my eye in the sort of about you was your holistic approach to uh to sport, I suppose, and and what does that exactly mean to you, and what does what what do you try to deliver? Well, look, you know, I had the great fortune of working with you. So that was that was good. But look, over the over the years, uh, I look, I'm trained in as a sports scientist, and uh, fortunately, I suppose as well, I was able to study psychology after I I completed my doctorate in sports science, and what I started to realize was. Okay, my my whole goal is to maximise the potential of people to perform, and in in the instance of sport, it's the players. I'm there to serve the coach. I'm I'm there to serve the organisation, but very much so the players. So a player, and a lot of people miss this point. Players are uh, you know are actually people first, and I a person is is quite different and uh, what i mean by that is often they're just looked at as players and athletes a uh, commodity as such that they're meant to perform when they're meant to perform but there is a whole range of things going on and so from my my view that it isn't just about getting you fit and dealing with your you know your your physical nature it's also your psychological nature what happens off the field on the field how things are going in your life because they're all going to determine how you actually play. Because at the end of the day, I want you to perform as best that you can possibly perform. And uh, I think too often we look at uh, players in a silo situation, which means that, you know, the sports medicine guys might look at you from an injury perspective. Sports science guys might look at you from a fitness perspective. The strength guys might look at you from a strength perspective. The coach looks at you from a technical and tactical perspective. Um, you know, there's your agent involved and everyone's involved. But what I like to do is put that all together and uh, try and get the best outcome for, for everyone involved. Well, having said that, I mean, I'm watching at the moment uh, the Michael Jordan documentary series, The Last Dance on Netflix. And, and before that, I was watching The Test uh, about the Australian cricket team. And I find a lot of people 
watch those and, and people that haven't been around professional sport or been in a dressing room, they seem really over... I feel like it's almost an overreaction. Listen, Michael Jordan is unbelievable. But when you look at the side of his mentality and his work ethic and his drive, I feel like I see that in a lot of players. They just haven't got the ability that Michael Jordan has. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's quite interesting with Jordan. And look, I'm a Jordan. I mean, I love the... I love basketball and the NBA and, and how can you not be a Jordan fan? And it's funny having a, a, a 19 year old son who, you know, the LeBron Jordan argument is quite, quite interesting, isn't it? Because they're, they're just both fantastic. And it's, it's the Messi Ronaldo all over again. Yeah. And, and it's always hard to compare across the eras. Um, but the thing is, you know, Jordan gets a bad rap uh, a lot of the time that he wasn't, you know, isn't such a super nice guy or whatever that is, but, who even knows what that is these days? He's a competitor. And yes, I have seen that in many players that I deal with um, all the time. And uh, I think it's just different people, isn't it? And sometimes I'm not saying that you all, all players need to be like that to be the, the best in the world. Um, some are very relaxed and, and can get by that way. I think it's your unique uh, nature as a person. So, yeah, look, I've, I've enjoyed that very much, and I'm about to watch the, the latest two episodes tonight, but <laughs> I, haven't, I, I haven't seen anything that he does, really, that's out of the out of the ordinary that I have not seen in my career in other sports. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, I, was, I was thinking, listen, I, I really, please listen, people listening to this, this is not a knock on Michael Jordan, if for me, the greatest ever. But just those attributes that he has on the training ground where he's uh, on the court, sorry, where he's motivating, he's arguing. It is, it is a, something that's sort of in, in a lot of athletes. In saying that, who's the most impressive athlete that you've seen, one from a, a drive perspective and, and two from a professionalism perspective? And this is across all sports. I know you've worked in rugby league and in football and many other. I have to say Robbie Cornthwaite, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll send me your bank details. <laughs> Besides prison company, um, oh, what a question that is. I mean, there has been so so many uh, that I've been so fortunate to work with. I, I think the ones that stand up, you know, I'm very much about good people as well. Um, so just that whole package. But those those people, look, I can't go past Tim Cahill. Yep. Um, that's one of the highlights of my career as an Australian to work with uh, our I would say our greatest soccerer, um, you know, our greatest goal scorer and, and over a hundred caps. But Tim, Tim's just unique in, in every way. And uh, I think I, I really enjoyed my time working with him, like doing the last four years of his career um, with that goal. When I first met him, that he wanted to get to the 2018 world cup. And, uh, that was that was just such a goal, and I was just so happy that he was able to get there. And all credit to him and uh, his perseverance and, and him as a person. But what I loved about him was, yes, he always worked hard. He always had a uh, – he enjoyed himself. He was always good to the younger players in the team. He was always the last one to sign autographs, the, the last one that we would have to pull on the bus uh, when we had fan days and, and all that sort of stuff. And gee, I, I really liked that because there was a lot of the younger players where I used to say, you know what, you don't like doing this, but in a few years, you're, you're probably going to uh, beg people to want to get your autograph. 
And um, so I thought Tim was always a great example from from that perspective. Um, you know, look athletically, um, Brett Edmonton was an incredible uh, athlete. So I was uh, fortunate enough to work with him. And then you see some of the rugby league players, um, like. <laughs> Rob, I've been fortunate to work in rugby league with the New South Wales State of Origin team, and I was brought in after that they'd lost um, a number of series in a row. I, I don't know much about rugby league at all, and back then I didn't know, but I know performance, and gee, I was so impressed. What a tough game that is, unbelievably tough game uh, to to play, and um, I just kept thinking when I was watching watching the first game of a State of Origin New South Wales versus Queensland, I just all I could think of in my head was, what sort of parent lets their kid play this sport? <laughs> I can tell you, most of the players, and you know I'm a football, like a, a soccer guy, most, most of the players I've worked with in soccer, one tackle, mate, you'd be putting up your hand and <laughs> so, oh, so that bit, but, but, you, but you know, like you have... Um, I, you mentioned the test there. Oh, gosh, that was a fantastic series as well. What about, um, uh, you know, the, the guys involved in that and their, their bravery in, a, in a, such a, such a, a difficult, difficult game as well? Um, but, yes, NBA, Michael Jordan, not that I worked with Michael Jordan, but yep. I saw him fortunately play live back in 1991. Yep. Oh, you, you just... It's just incredible what some people can do. So yeah, I've been really lucky. But Tim stands out um, just just in respect to to his work and him as an overall player in person. What about coaches? I mean, obviously, I don't want you to have to single anyone out, but you've worked in particular in football with Ange Postecoglou, Tony Popovich, uh, Carlos Queiroz with with Iran. What is maybe mm-hmm. one or two of the most impressive things you've seen from? any of those guys um, or, or do you have one that stands out? Look, they, they're all different. And you, you mentioned uh, three great ones there that I've been very, very fortunate to work with. Um, you know, Tony, I first worked with him when he was an assistant um, and you could just tell that he had these special qualities. And then uh, I was with him uh, for a number of years at Western Sydney and then um, had stayed involved when he went to Perth as well. Um, so yes, what a what a great future. I mean, he's already had a great career, and you played underneath yep. him. He his work ethic, his um, attention to detail, and his determination outstanding. Um, he's you know at that level of his career. Then you have Ange Postecoglou, who was such a that was a joy to work under him as well. Very different character, uh, different person. But just so uh, I found him to be well read and intellectually very very good and uh, and a great belief. I remember when we won 2015 Asian Cup. Um, at the start of that, I'll be honest, I was just hoping to get out of the group stage. Wow. Um, because if you remember that team, that was a young a sort of a young mixture of a team hadn't yep. had a great World Cup and really wasn't that good. And then we're on home soil. I, I was really thinking, okay, just you know, let's just prepare this team and do the best we possibly can and then everything takes care of itself. But there was one person from the start that believed we were going to win that and that was him. Yeah. And he drove that team and um and and they did win. And he still has I will never um I will never forget his comment if you remember that final eighty five thousand people, big game in Australian football history where 1-0 up, you know, they score in, what, the 92nd or something like that, and 
you know, you just go into action to get extra time happening. And it was sort of, I was sitting looking at our guys and I knew they were very healthy and um, across that tournament and they're still in really good condition. And the Koreans were on the ground, which surprised me because you've played in Korea. Yeah. And I've always rated them the fittest players I've ever seen. And I saw them on the ground and I thought, hang on. And all our players were standing up. And you know when you scored against him that last final mm. minutes, normally the momentum has changed. And he had that young group of players, mostly quite young then, and um, he stood up. And he, and the words, it will stay with me forever because he said, do not worry about this. All it's going to do is make the story better. And yeah. to come up with that, 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 uh, that uh, saying in that time under that pressure – all the players were standing up. They were ready to go. And he's saying, it'll just make the story better. We're okay. We've got this. Just just relax. And sure enough, um, he pointed to them. He said, look at them. They're all on the ground. This is all, all over for us. And sure enough, it was. Um, we, we're lucky enough to score and, and win that game. So just, uh, that was great. I mean, um, it just, but I will say... Sorry, continue. Yeah, sorry. I will say Carlos Quiros was just the... I think... And that was just an amazing experience. And um, because he is a, you know, he's in his 60s now, great career, um, you know, as Portugal's uh, national team coach, assistant to Alec Ferguson for many years, a coach for Real Madrid. But what a what an intellect, what a man, um, and what a leader. Uh, yeah, he, you would, he was just one of those people that just inspire uh, you to be the best you can be, as the other two do um, as well. It's not a comparison, but Carlos um, just was just was just a fantastic character, and I'd say that was uh, probably seven seven weeks or uh, of my my life that I, I'll really, I, I really cherish, and I still keep in contact with him today because now he's at Columbia, so we still. Um, uh, the staff there, we still have some involvement with the guys there. So, look, he he's incredible. Yeah. Well, that's an that amazing insight. And, you know, I obviously know you were away from this podcast and, and some, some stories and things there that I'd never heard. So that's absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, a common theme across all this this sort of uh, opening is, is mental strength or um, uh, mentality. And, and that's something you're really big on. If you do go to Craig... Uh, drcraigduncan.com you've got a, a a whole heap of podcasts more than a hundred podcast episodes <laughs> and a huge yeah. huge focus on gratitude and self-awareness and and how to deal with stress and and all this sort of things at the moment the world is going through a difficult time what what are sort of some of the key things people can be doing to to stay positive and, and to stay motivated well yeah look you know for me um it's. It, I, I think I, I talk about these three R's for this time. I think, and I, I always focus on this philosophy that I developed called self science. So when I talk about this, I'm talking about myself, and to to then you relate it to yourself. I think it's very important that we strive to become a self scientist, that we understand ourselves more, that we become more self aware. But the the thing that I've really thought about this time is it's a it's an, a great time to reflect, um, to refocus and to hit the reset button. I think the entire world needed that. Um, look, we don't need a pandemic and we don't need people to die. But we we needed something to happen. And my my wish or what I what I really hope happens from this as we come out of this 
that these, this time that was spent in this period of isolation has taught us something, that we actually do do things a little bit differently outside of it. Um, one of the biggest things I spoke about when it was first uh, on the way was you've got to have a routine. And you, you now your routine might have changed from your normal work day, but to set up and have a good morning routine, how do you start the day? Do you win your, if you win the morning, you normally win the day. And that might mean, you know, what I'll just go through what I do. I get up in the morning, I make my bed, I'll do a couple of very small little exercise things just to get my mind sort of going. I will then uh, write in my journal, I then will go for my, uh, my run, Okay, and then I will get on to my day. And I try and do this if I'm really good uh, without touching my phone or letting anything else get into my mind before I go and then start my day after my, my run. If I can own that morning, um, then I can really make a difference. And that's for every part of, a, part, of, part of life. I think the other thing too is often anxiety well, anxiety is about when we have a real forward focus and we're looking looking into the future and, and our worries about the what-ifs. And so often in our life, we know those what-ifs don't actually happen and we've spent all this time worrying about them that it's made no difference um, and we didn't need to. And so what I really like to do is live my day in uh, what I like is termed a, a day-kite compartment. So the day and make the most of that day because I don't know if tomorrow's going to come. Let's yep. be realistic. Um, most of us listening to this, yes, we will have more days. Okay, there's that, that, that would say that we're going to live to a certain time. But you know what? I do also go by the, the, um, uh, the idea that I have to live every day as if it was my last. That doesn't mean I go out partying and putting all my money on black at the casino or whatever you know but what it means is i'm going to leave this so i'm in a good place if tomorrow never comes for me and i think that's in, important um i also talk about yes grat gratitude the other thing i talk about is setbacks um set setbacks are part of life and i have started doing that in my journal next to three things i'm grateful for what are three things in the last 24 hours that were setbacks for me? They could be little or they could be large. Look at those setbacks and go, okay, how did I handle that? Did I handle it like, you know, when I was 12 years old or something and throw my toys out of the cot? Or have I progressed as a human and taken it in my stride, worked through it and, uh, and, and, and looked at it differently? See, we, I don't know, as humans, we, we want everything to be rosy, but you know what? Um, setbacks and suffering that's part of life that is life and it's what we learn from that that's actually going to, to give us um, a, a real uh, help us to live what I would term a good life uh, uh, it's, it's interesting, something you said to me on the phone the other day has just come to the forefront of my mind when you said if we were all at work at our desk in our office right now and someone said, oh, you can stay at home for four weeks, we'd all jump at the opportunity. We'd all love to be at home, lounging around. And then now that we're at home, we're all miserable that we can't. Obviously, we can't see friends and family and go to restaurants and things like that yeah. too. But we always kind of want something different, don't we? Human nature. And, and you know what really got me? And I, I started to get a bit strong on this. And look, I know every parent loves their kids. 
But the amount of people that I heard saying, oh, my God, I can't wait till my kid goes back to school. I don't want them here. Like, you've got to really think that through, you know, because I've got Yeah, I mean, I've been, guilty of, I've been guilty of that at times, no doubt. Yeah, and, and it's not a judgment. It's more like going, catch yourself saying it and going, because I'm going to tell you what, you know, I, I've got kids um, that uh, are in their, or one's 19 now in, in their 20s, and you want them here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You want them here. They're only kids for a short time. And I think this people that have really embraced this time with their kids, I know the schooling from home isn't ideal, um, but um, the entire thing of having having them around and, and that sort of stuff, I, I think all of us will really appreciate that down the track. Tremendous. A uh, couple of tools there um, for people to really work on. And, and it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. You have to constantly keep it up. But in 2013, you suffered a, a near-death experience, a coronary artery dissection while performing a bench press in the gym. Can you briefly explain what that is and, and what that felt like? <sighs> okay, I suppose I'll set it up a little bit. Um, I was I was working at a club in the A-League at the time and um, things weren't great. Uh, coach, um, coach, a coach had resigned, an interim coach came in and then they got a new coach. Uh, it was a real difficult time. And then, you know, it's a real common thing. Oh, the team's not fit enough. You know, there's too many injuries or something like that, which sort of falls on on my department's head. Uh, it's an easy scapegoat uh, for it. Um, a lot of it actually wasn't true. And I really uh, didn't appreciate that. I thought a lot of a lot of things were said that were, yeah, I'll be honest, were just lies uh, to cover people. And... Uh, I was in a bad way. Uh, new staff came in. I, w- I was sort of isolated, not doing much. And uh, I went to the gym with a player uh, that you would have played against, uh, an overseas player who had ruptured his Achilles for the second time. And I was so upset about it. I couldn't stop it. I thought that, yeah, there were, there were some issues with the training. I won't go into that. But anyway, look, it, it was just there. So I was just working with him, rehabbing him. But... The thing really was, was his career was sort of done. And uh, he knew that, we knew that, and I was just sort of playing, you know, to help him and and be with him. And um, we were at the gym, and I did something I'd never done, which was I said, look, you're not going to play again for at least a year, so why don't we just get you really strong? And, you know, Rob, as a a soccer player, we never really get to do that, do we? Because we've always got so many things going on. So strength training is sort of a uh, part of the program, but it's not a major part. So I said, and how about I do it with you? And for some reason, just being a stupid uh, man, (laughs) I I lifted – too heavy, you know, the, on the bench press, yep. and um, and I was showing him a technique uh, to to lift where you you basically hold your breath and and work through it. It's yep. called the Valsalva maneuver. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of powerlifters do it, and I I'd learned it, you know, in, throughout my time. But um, I did this, and you asked me what that felt like. You don't feel anything, um, because what happens is there's no feeling in an artery. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky because what I had was a spontaneous coronary artery dissection, so I didn't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. What happened after that was I went for a run that afternoon. I thought, okay, I've got chest pain. Um, that's weird. 
but didn't think anything of it. Went home, woke up in the middle of the night with enormous chest pain, mm. and I just thought, and it didn't make sense to me at the time, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, I just thought to myself, wow, you've got you know, muscle soreness quite quickly from that bench press. No, no, thought, no part of you thought you were having some sort of heart attack or anything like that? No, no. And you know what actually went through my mind? And a lot of the guys out there listening will think like this. I thought, I, and this is no word of a lie. I, wanted to, I was going to turn over to my wife and I thought, I'm not going to ask her. I thought, I need an ice pack. Mm. And I'm not going to ask her to do this because she's just going to, to say what <laughs> you know and uh and so i got up and had a couple of neurofen and okay went back to sleep woke up that morning and you know the the team at that time had gone to perth or somewhere like that so mm. i had the guys that hadn't traveled and you know how we do like an easy lap to yep. start with i do the easy lap and it was going to be a couple of laps and i'm i'm running and going holy heck I've got massive chest pain here. <laughs> so you can imagine it. Yeah. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're laughing about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's just so stupid that it's funny. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm doing this and I go, I go for this run and then I say, okay, guys, let's just stop and have a stretch. And the pain goes and, and that sort of thing. And I thought, okay, this is a bit of an issue. I play as go and then I try and go for my run. I get five minutes into my run and I go, bang. I've got pain down the arm, pain in my neck, pain in the chest. And I'm like, I can't go any further. Mm. So like I'm trained in this stuff. I'm thinking, yeah, there's something wrong. There's really something wrong. Started to walk and the pain went away. Um, Look, to cut a long story short, I went home that day and I was sick. I didn't feel well at all. Um, And this actually went on for a couple of days and that was the crazy thing that it went on for a couple of days that same scenario still going to work um what what was the motivation to continue to go to work was it because people were questioning your you doing the way you were doing your job no 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 it was just a thing to do you know i mean you say you you say you were trained in that sort of thing and you probably thought you're having a heart attack or Oh, I didn't. Well, I, I think I was 44, 45 at the time. And, you know, I'm healthy and I had all my bloods done. I don't have any family history. I started to think that I had some infection or something like that. And, and it came to the Sunday. And um, I remember this clearly because on Monday I went to go to work and, and my wife just said to me, look, I respect you, but hey, don't come home today until you've seen the doctor. Yep. So I thought I'd see the team doctor, didn't get to see him, went to another doctor, knocked on the door, and the receptionist said, I said, oh, I've got some chest pain. She said, we're too busy. Uh, so I just went, oh, okay. And then I turned up at home and I said, hey, I'm here, but I've made an appointment at 8.45 p.m. down the down the road. So I walked myself down to the medical center mm-hmm. and they just went, holy hell, you know, we've got a real issue here. They wanted to take me by ambulance to the hospital straight away. I said, no, don't worry, I'll walk home. <laughs> Had a bit of chest pain walking home. Said to, <laughs> said to my wife, let's go tomorrow. And she just said, let's get in the car. Yeah. And then and then just all started off. Go in, rushed in. Uh, they do the test. You've had a heart attack. I'm still in denial. And then it, I'd never heard of um, this spontaneous coronary artery dissection. And then it was a couple of days probably later where I started to really get the realization and I got 
that's what they said's happened. Something went. It's very unusual for it to happen, and most of the time you die when it happens. Yeah, I was going to. I was going to say, if yeah. I just take you back to all those moments where you were feeling chest pain, was it quite conceivable mm -hmm. that any one of those could have been a fatal heart attack? Yeah, look, it was very. Uh, uh, I'm very lucky that the artery that um, dissected wasn't uh, was a, a smaller artery if it would have been the major artery which would happen i would have died on the spot um but yeah it, i was just so fortunate probably that i was healthy that i could actually cope with that i don't know but it was unbelievable and uh three weeks in hospital intensive care um spent a couple of horrible nights where i thought i'm not going to get through this um, um i mean how how I mean you had surgery so at what point did you have the surgery it was a you were conscious during the surgery were, do you remember much of that yeah look it was I I remember going in on the Monday and it wasn't until the Thursday I got transferred to another hospital and I remember the night before that was really the one where I thought I was in a, a small uh, intensive care unit someone else died that night I was having massive chest pain. Um, I thought this is it. I'm done. Um, my kids were, my kids had been told and were just so upset about it. Um, I, I just, and, and I'm there in the middle of the night hearing this person, you know, had passed away me being checked again because I've got all this chest pain to see if I was having a heart attack and just thinking, wow, this is it. <laughs> you know, And, uh, that was, that was, frightening that was frightening Rob yeah, um, I mean was, was... we've spoken about the the way you live your life now from the, was that the moment you decided I'm going to change the way I view things or did it take a bit of time before you became in that new mindset no I I knew things had to change um and you you know this from being involved in sport I I had been one that was just going and going and just you know, working non nonstop uh, on different jobs, not even really appreciating victories and success that we had uh, really that well. Um, it is, look, we choose to be involved in it, right? But, you know, like it's, it's a high stress environment. Um, I, you get frustrated if your team's not doing well or the team is doing well or whatever it is, you, you go somewhere and everyone wants to talk to you about that. It's worse as a player. Hmm. I'm just backroom stuff, but people that know me, oh, your team's not doing good. Yeah, well, hang on, I'm just here on a Sunday having lunch. <laughs> How's your job going? You, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't know, yeah, that sort of stuff. But um, I did really make that decision. I thought, no, you know what, I'm done in respect to to this. I was used to get so worked up about what would be said in the media about teams and these issues that was happening or injuries that would happen or if there wasn't success, I would take it. I would take it pretty hard, like a lot of us do and a lot of coaches do, you know, not being able to sleep after losses and all mm. that sort of thing. So it very much changed me. Um, and I, I want to tell people this. If you ever get into a situation where you're on your deathbed and you can recover from that. Um, you're very fortunate. Because I'm telling you now, I was begging for the worst day of my life. I was asking to just give me any day, any moment. I don't care what it is. I just want more. I want more air. 
And um, and it made me feel like, what? I, I'm working in professional sport. I'm a bit upset about people aren't listening to me. I just felt like a fool. Yeah. And now I'm laying in my hospital bed, had multiple heart attacks, not sure what's going to happen. My kids, my wife, my family, it's a tragedy. And I was just wasting my life by getting upset about you know, such small little things. Massive change in my life. Um, massive change on how I view life and uh, it was something that I, I really needed. It was the worst time of my life, but it's absolutely been the best thing that ever happened, or well, one of the best things that ever happened to me. And obviously now we're here, you're doing your daily exercise. Um, obviously, well, hopefully no lasting effects and, and a full recovery. Well, yeah, look, I had... Um, I had, uh, like, um, they had to put this scaffold into the artery to try and rebuild it, and you do remain conscious during that. Uh, it was, that was quite traumatic. Uh, the artery is compromised. I go back every year to have stress testing and all that sort of sort of stuff, but, you know, I, I run every day, and I, I'm, I'm careful of certain things, but, but definitely it hasn't... Um, I've been very fortunate. Uh, look, I'm, I'm sure there is some lasting effect because that, that artery is somewhat compromised. But overall, my life—I uh, don't think my life expectancy will be compromised. What do you What do you think of uh, Craig Duncan, the person pre 2013? Oh, I think I'm the same. I think I'm more aware. I, I don't think I was aware. I, I think I just was taking things a little bit. Um, yeah, just not grateful and not appreciating what I had. I've always been an optimistic person, but I think just getting caught up and thinking one of the big problems as humans is we've got to stay in our, there's things we can control and there's things we can't control and we can't control a hell of a lot. And in my job, uh, working with players, I can control things like the programming and work on that and help you as much as possible. I can't go and play. When you play, I can't play. I can't. I, I, it's, I've got no control over the decisions referees make. I've got no dis control over. Yeah. So I was actually thinking, ah, oh, more important than what I actually was. Um, so very much that's a big ego thing. And uh, I think I'm much more aware of where, uh, where ego plays a, a big role in my life. Well, part of that recovery and, and part of, uh, I suppose, mental health and, and staying positive is animals. I know you're a massive uh, dog fan. How many dogs have you got? Three. you got three yeah. dogs. What kind of dogs are they? Uh, uh, Australian Shepherds. Remember, I tried to get you to buy I them. I know you, you, went did. For, <laughs> you, you went for You went for a Kelpie. Which Kelpie cross-border yeah. collie, so it's like, a little, yeah. min, it's like a miniature Kelpie with uh, half the energy of a Kelpie, thankfully. Yeah, no, that, they're a beautiful dog too. But I've got, I've actually got one right here now. So I've got three, and um, yeah, that's been that's been interesting. And I, I know it, we we joke about it, but I've started to do a lot more research into the effect of um, dogs uh, on humans, and the great uh, therapy that they can give humans as as well. Uh, that relationship and uh, back in. I think 2015, I was involved in a short documentary. I think it's about six, 
six minutes or something like that for one of the pet food companies. I was the human expert um, in a in a this. It's actually a beautiful short little film about uh, the relationship between dogs and humans, and they looked at the heart rate of dogs and humans and the relationship between between those and. In actual fact, the heart rate, even though they're at different rates, like a dog's heart beats a lot faster, what we found was when they were relaxed and when they were stressed, um, we put them in a situation where they were stressed apart from each other. And when they came back and sat with each other on the lounge, the heart rates actually went in sync. It was beautiful, Rob. And um, from there, the star of the show was an Aussie Shepherd. And uh, since then, I've got three of them. So... That's so incredible. That's I had no idea about that. I'll have to uh, try and find that uh, that video, but it's no surprise. <laughs> Obviously, I absolutely love my dog as well, and, and most people do. Yeah. It's uh, called Hearts Aligned, if you ever... Say that yeah. again, sorry? Hearts Aligned, it's called. I can uh, send you the details. And yeah, we'll it. check that. I'll put up on uh, on social media underneath this uh, this podcast. Um, yeah. Since the... Uh, the the near death experience, I suppose you've gone on to to win an Asian Champions League. Uh, been in multiple A League Grand Finals. You've had a couple of State of Origin wins with New Zealand, an Asian Cup win with the Socceroos, among any other many others. What, what teams are you currently working with, and, and what's next for you? What are your sort of goals, and, and where, where do you want to go inside and outside of sport? Yeah, well, what, what I what I did back in in two thirteen was I went into an academic position. So I started lecturing at a university and then started consulting. So so I was coming to Western City Wanderers and then it grew from there into New South Wales State of Origin team um, and then some teams overseas. And that's how I started this consulting business. And now we developed that into a company called Performance Intelligence Agency. So my view of that was that I didn't want to be in one place but I knew the systems and the strategy that I developed over years um, could really benefit uh, players and organizations. So that's what we did. And um, uh, one of our models of our businesses, and you would have played under this uh, at, at Wanderers, where instead of the sports science, uh, the sports staff maybe being employed by a club or an organization, they actually employ us. And we then employ the staff. So remember, you had Scott yeah, Smith Scotty, there. Yep. So he, yep. So he was employed by uh, my company, and then so we can help him uh, and uh, mentor him, um, and then see him grow uh, as a as a practitioner. And and then yeah, then after a few years, Scott's actually gone on and works for himself now, and works with Popper at um, at Perth Glory. So I really love the fact that we can help develop uh, younger, maybe younger sports science or physios and, and, and then they can, they can go on themselves. And so that's good and it gives us a bigger, bigger reach. Uh, so Brisbane Raw we work with, um, uh, US Pulse in the, in the J-League. I was with the Iran national team uh, most recently and obviously I did the Australian national team for four, four years there. Uh, manly rugby league. We've got a fair few teams, yep. and there's others that we don't talk about because I really like, <laughs> you know, the idea that we're sort of in the background. And so a lot of what we do is advise, uh, advise coaches, um, put in our systems, and uh, and hopefully people see the benefit of that. Well, and, uh, well having worked, and then 
Yeah, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, having worked with you and Scotty firsthand, you know, obviously uh, that was the fittest I've ever been. And as a team effort, you know, Popper and the coaching staff and Ian Austin, the physios and yourself and Scotty and, and everything, it was, um, yeah, it was really, really fantastic system to work under. And it's no surprise that you've been so successful. Yeah, look, I, I mean, it just gets back to looking at it from that holistic perspective. And I'm, and I'm very, very much about, uh, you know about the monitoring and and all that. Um, what happens off the field and the sleep and all these other things that go into it. Your psychological status and and working with that and then working with technology over the years to advance that and that's coming along all the time. And then we took we were doing there and we do that in corporate as well because I worked you know uh, corporate uh, people need to perform, executives need to perform, and uh, I think. I really know how to get people to perform, and so it didn't matter. So the corporate type athlete is just the same. So I love that work. I love uh, that executive coaching work, helping people just to be the best they can to make important decisions in corporations that do affect a lot of people. So that's really important. So even you, Rob, now as a not as a player going into your career and doing what you're doing, you still have to perform. So it's about managing that as well. And I, I find that really, really enjoyable. Well, Craig, it's been a, a fan- fascinating chat. I mean, uh, absolutely brilliant, some of the insight you've been able to give. And if you are listening to this podcast, you want to hear more, make sure you visit drcraigduncan.com.au. All these podcasts are up there. He's got some philosophy stuff and quotes as well. So check it out if you get a chance. Craig, any final words, anything you want to add for, for our listeners and uh, and maybe a parting message? Look, I mean, I thank you for having me on. You know, I'm always a big supporter of you because you as a player were a great person. Um, and I'm not saying that because I was saying to you, but you always have been a great person. You've had... Uh, some ups and downs in your life. You've come out of it. You're a great role model and a fantastic role model for for actual players. And you're going to have, and you already have a great career in, uh, in what you're doing in respect to TV and that sort of journalistic area. And I, and I just wish you all the best. And I, I'm, I'm so happy. One of the happiest things is when I see you on your farm and, and it's just so great to see a player that has got it all worked out post career and that's what we need to need to look at and really help our players and uh to to do that because you're living a really good life so i really love that i think the most important thing we can do as people is to value our life to realize um that we will die i know that's maybe <laughs> something that people shudder with when i actually say that but from my time on on that that you know, so really difficult nights. I developed this concept called the deathbed scorecard, and that's what you will judge yourself on. What if you were to die tomorrow and you were lying there and asking yourself, have I had a good life or a bad life? Because that's what you're going to ask yourself. And there's going to be some criteria that you're going to mark yourself against. What I like and what I do every day is I've got that criteria and I mark myself against that each day. So I don't need to wait till that. I'm ready uh, because when I was in that situation, I was begging for more time. I wasn't at peace. And so I wish everyone just realized that every day is valuable 
Um, I know it's easy for me to say, and I don't always make the most of every day, but if we can strive to to do that, uh, then I think you're, you're going to live a much, much, much better and deeper life. Craig, thank you very much for your kind words and absolute pleasure having you on Life, Death and Sport. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Rob, and all the best. See you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Life, Death and Sport. Unlike sport, in life, there is no playbook. And I want you to know that however you feel, it's okay. Thanks for listening to Life, Death and Sport. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss upcoming interviews and connect with Robbie Cornthwaite on social media. Links are in the show notes.